0: Brad, you want to come up here and uh just share just a moment. I know I gave you about uh that as much notice. But uh Well you're coming to the pulpit.
1: It's that's not good. It's hard to uh, see the hand of God move in people's lives and talk about it. There was an expression I heard when I first started going to Sedan. I I thought it was cute and catchy and it was called New Generation. Um, new Generation Dreamland, New Generation Tabernacle. And you, and, you know, I thought cute, cute and catchy. Um, This trip, I'm beginning to understand what Stanley had when God gave him that phrase. Stanley has over 900 kids in uh, the primary school at the base, 300 children in the primary school at the orphanage in Dreamland, and he's about ready to open up another primary school in Juba this year. And then I started to realize, see, Southern Sudan's been in a civil war for 30 years, and they've lost a generation. I mean there's a whole generation of uneducated people un, unlearned people that didn't know they just they just spent 30 years trying to stay alive. And I've always compared Southern Sudan a lot with America back in the 1700s when we were just colonies wanting to be free from a foreign dictatorship a foreign country and and when America became America became free in the 1700s nobody really knew what that meant, but it's all history now. We go back, America is the strongest nation in the world. We are the greatest nation in spreading the gospel around the world, but nobody knew in 1700s what we were to become. And Southern Sudan is in basically the same situation today. To the north is all the Muslim nations, and to the south is all the tribal nations of Africa. Basically, Southern Sudan is the gateway between the Muslims and the rest of Africa. And I don't think anybody really truly understands the plan that God has for Sudan today and southern Sudan. And when you see this new generation of children being raised from the age of 6 to 14, 15, 16, those are the leaders that are going to take southern Sudan into the future. And Brother Stanley, I've always known from the beginning, Brother Stanley is a major player in the political, not, he may never run politically, but the man just demands attention. When he steps up on stage, people pay attention to what Brother Stanley's got to say because he is a man of God and he knows it and people know that and the anointing just goes with him. And I've always known this, uh, that Brother Stanley was going to play a major role in the future of Sudan. But when I see these 1,200 kids at the moment, only 1,200. And that those children are going to be the leaders of Southern Sudan and only God knows the impact that's going to have on Africa and the world and how four or 500 people halfway around the world has played such a major role in Brother Stan. I mean, talk about seed in the ground. This is, is not about 100 orphans in, in somewhere in the rest of the world. This is about a continent and a work that God's doing that could easily spread around the world. And one thing about Pastor Bill, I've always known, once God if God asks him to do something, he is willing to do it. No matter how small it seems at the moment, nobody really knows what that seed in the ground is going to do. And I just want to encourage you. we got another fundraiser coming up, okay? It's easy to get caught up in our lives and what we're doing on a daily basis. But nobody, only God, really knows. To de- I mean, I was just overwhelmed when I started to see what God is doing in the Sudan and how it's such an honor and a privilege it is for us to be a part of that. And um, I don't know. When you see these pictures, it's just, it's, it's really hard to... Talk about it. you got to learn what to say while what you can't
0: Give Brad a hand. Pastor Bill, he was my buddy. Brad was Praise my friend.
2: We had a wonderful time. most important thing in life is just be obedient to do what God has called you to do. Pastor Stanley sends his love. He believes, and I believe, and we believe as a church standing alongside him, that he is raising up a generation to change a nation. And I believe it will even spread far beyond the South Sudan And uh, so we thank you, and Pastor Stanley thanks you. I want to center in on this, not about the event. I know John will be talking about that, and Brad may share some more, but July 30th. Everybody say July 30th. July 30th. This will be the Dreamland Children's Putt-Putt Charity Event, our second annual. $50,000 raised in the first one. I am believing God, and I believe God dropped this in my heart. If it comes to pass, it was God. If it doesn't, it was just a good thought. (laughs) We are believing for $100,000 on July the 30th, we are believing for a $12,000 container to be sitting there to be filled with every single vital need that they need that they have to pay too much for in Kampala, and we will, for $12,000, ship it to the Sudan... And we will meet the needs that they currently have and especially their agricultural needs because they have 13 miles by 15 miles of agricultural land on the Yay River that has been given to them to farm at their convenience. And right now they're doing eight acres in 100-degree temperature by hand, by hoe, by seeding by hand. And July the 30th, everybody say July 30th, July 30th. $100,000 yes. to change a nation. Yes. Hallelujah.
0: Amen, amen. Give Bill a hand and Brad. It was really good. to. It was good because I would never been there before. So I got two pros showing me the way. But apparently these two don't pay any attention to anything when they travel. Because every airport we went into, every situation we went into, they didn't have a clue as to where we were, what was going on. And I kept saying, haven't you guys been here before? But they're both, if you've been around them much, they're both just like this. So they just paying attention to all kinds of stuff and playing with kids. And I I was there probably two hours. And uh, I had come to Bill and not upset or anything, but just a little exasperated and said, I had no idea. I had no idea. And I said, I'm not really sure everybody at church has any idea, a really truly an idea about what's being done there. And so over the next couple whatevers, you know, as we make a few new videos and a few new DVDs of some things, and we took a lot of time videoing some things and showing some things. But today I just want to go through and share just a few things out of this particular trip and out of some of the things that I saw to help you maybe get a glimpse of what maybe God is doing there. But what God can do here and what God can do in your life. Because the things that are happening there in, in the South Sudan, the things that are going on with, with Pastor Stanley and the things that his team is accomplishing in that area, it, it is amazing. To share a message that says, I believe that nothing is impossible with God is one thing. To think about it here in this in this country where we live, you know, that nothing's impossible with God. Well, we say that all the time. But to go to a place, really, truly, where everything is impossible. Your daily, they, like Brad said, for 30 years, they, they, every day is a day where they try to survive. And to see what God has done in that place through somebody who said, okay, God, I'll, I'll do what you ask me to do. I'll forget about myself. I'll forget about my family. Like Pastor Stanley, you know, I mean, he's very humble. But he, he, he said, okay, God, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. I'll give up my life. For this country and i'll give up my life for these people and and as he's done that we've had a part of that and god's brought people in his life and god's brought you know money across his path and done those kind of things but really truly ultimately it had to be him to pay the price it had to be him to say okay i'll be a light in my world i'm not going to escape i'm not going to go somewhere else i'm not going to go where it might be easier i i I will i will come back to this country and I, and I will do whatever you ask me to do. And he's literally, truly laid down his life. And I just want to encourage you today that if, that if you will live your life if that way, if I will live my life that way, then we can see the same things happen in our life. You may not have an orphanage. I mean, you may not have a primary school and you may not do some of those kind of things, but God has some type of orphanage, if you will, for you. He has some type of place like that for you in your life. And it says in Isaiah chapter 60, and I mean, I could talk for a long time about all the things that we saw and all the things that we did. But in, in my life, uh, this, was, this was very important. You know, this, every, everything over the last six, eight months in my life has been really uh, a, a new opportunity for me to say, okay. A new opportunity for me to say, uh, it's not about me. A new opportunity for me to say, whatever you have, God, I, I, I'll do. And it seems when I, I, I can say it... <laughs> all I want, but then God puts me in a place where I have to live it. Whether it's faith for finances in this building, whether it's faith, faith for health for somebody in this church who needs us to stand and to agree, whether it's a relationship situation or whether it's a building situation or whether it's a new program situation or whatever it is as God speaks to your heart those things, then you have to say not just okay, but you have to go out and live it. And it says here, it says that, that you need to, or we need to, and this is a call for us, not just something that happened in the Old Testament, but it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. That everywhere that you go, if you will arise and shine, not just arise and get up and wander around in the dark, but arise and shine. Arise means get up, and shine means to emit or to radiate light are you radiating the light that's on the inside of you and it was very simple when you're standing in the south sudan because it's the darkest place i've ever been literally one night brad turned off the light and i was i said i cannot see my hand and he kind of giggled and i said i cannot see the window it literally is the darkest place i've ever been And if you don't beat the fan getting shut off at 12 o'clock, the power shuts off. And if you don't beat the fan, which is the only glimpse of semi-relief in the 85-degree heat you're sleeping in, if you don't beat that to sleep, then all of Africa comes alive. It'll increase your prayer life. I prayed for hours at night figure, what do you got to do? You can't sleep. The funeral drums, the animals, the skitter, skitter, skitter. You just close your eyes and keep praying. Somebody had to eat. But, you know, it says in Matthew in chapter 5 that, that, that you don't have to go to the Sudan to be a light. It, but it does say that you're supposed to be a light. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine. But in Matthew chapter 5, it says that you're the salt and the light of the earth. See, and it says if the salt loses its flavor, then what good is it? If the light is covered up by a bushel basket, what good does that light do? But what should you do? You should take the bushel basket off and you should take your light and you should put it up on top of the hill so that everybody can see those things. And it goes on in the verse in 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, Stanley isn't doing what he's doing in this place because he wants to bring glory upon himself. He's doing what God called him to do in this place because he knows that God wants to make a difference in the lives of the people of his country. God's not doing the things in your life. He's not asking you to do the things in your life just so that you can receive glory or so that you can see your way or so that you can have the desires of your heart or any of those kind of things. He's putting those things in your heart and he's asking you to go out the door and do them so that you can bring people to Jesus, so that you can be a light in a dark world. This world is truly in the natural falling apart at the seams. And the only answer, the only answer for all of these things is Jesus. The only answer is the thing that you carry on the inside of you. And so if we won't be the ones who shine our light, then who will shine our light? Where will the light come from? You know, I know that Stanley has put it to practice and he is not going to have a rock cry out for him. Our main man Anthony who leads praise and worship and jumps up and down for hours and sweats like you would not believe. <laughs> pours water all over himself. He's been doing it for 5 years. He lives in a little room with just a bed and a little thing and a couple of guitars and that that I means that's that's his, that's his world, that's his life. His life is to praise God. That's all he does. He helps Stanley. He does whatever Stanley wants him to do. But there is not going to be a rock that cries out. He is a light for Jesus. They pray all night. We get done with the crusade. Then they showed the passion of the Christ after that. Some poor soul interpreted the entire thing three nights in a row. And then when that got done, we're trying to lay down, and all you hear is Anthony then preaching up a storm and singing and bringing people to Jesus at whatever time it was. And then when that was all done, then they went and they might have sat down for an hour, but then they got up and then they interceded throughout the rest of the night. Why? Because they just want to be a light in a dark place. See, in that place in Lanya where we had gone, it's about 33 miles from from Ye, they've never had anything. They've never had a crusade. They have have a few churches there, but they've never had a leadership conference. They've never had a crusade. They've never had anybody come in and, and really throw up the thing and say, this is who Jesus is. And at the end of that particular, if you'll do what God asks you to do, even though you're not sure if they're even understanding, even if you're not sure that people are listening to you, they are watching who you are and what's going on. Sometimes you've got to plow some tough ground if you're going to eventually see a harvest. And in your life, you may say, you know what, I've tried it a few times and it hasn't been that great. And I've, I've done some things, but it's been really hard. I haven't seen a whole lot. But the Bible says some plant, some water, and some reap. And in that place, it was, it was, it was planting. There was harvest, people got saved, and lives were touched, and I mean, all of those things happen, but at the end, you know, when the chief gets up, and he's the one who's like the most important person for miles and miles and miles, and he tells Stanley, and he tells the rest of his team and the people that he believes that these things have changed that entire area, and that it will never, ever be the same again because of what he did. It was a sacrifice for Stanley of time and money. It was a sacrifice for all those people to drive in a dump truck for 33 miles for an hour and 15, hour and a half, and ride in all the dirt and the dust, and then build all of these things. And they brought everything that they needed, and they have spent all of their resources, and they spent all of their time, and they stayed up for a week. That's plowing ground, and that's being a light. But then see, the harvest that comes on the other side of that is, this, this place will never, ever be the same again. See, everywhere that you go, you have an opportunity to plant that kind of seed. And everywhere that you go, you have that opportunity to arise and to shine, to be the salt and the light in your world so that that place will never, ever be the same again. But you have to make up your mind to do that. You have to be the one that does. I mean, we wear these little headlights at night because it's so dark, you know, and I put my little headlight on. You take attendance when you go in the bathroom. You make sure you know how many critters are in there, how many lizards, how many spiders. You learn real quick. You push the door open and step back a little bit, and then you count. And then when you're all finished, you back out, and you count again to make sure that there's that many still there. Because if there's not, that means one of them's on you. And off you go. But you can't back out. you got to turn around real quick because there might be something out here. So then you got to do this. But everywhere you go, see... (laughs) everywhere you go you got to have your light otherwise you're wandering in the darkness why does it say in isaiah 60 arise shine why does it say in matthew 5 that you are the salt and the light of the earth because the world is in darkness and they need your light and if you're going to see where you're going if you're going to show others where to go you have to have a light of course pastor bill didn't i don't know who packs his bag and i don't know if we've ever he's ever been to the sudan before I don't know if Brad just dropped him off somewhere in Europe and goes to the Sudan and comes back. But he has absolutely nothing that he needs for these trips. He even told me, make sure you have a flashlight before you go. Okay. And he said, I, I count on Brad for a lot of stuff, but I'm going to bring a flashlight. All right. We get there the first night. Anybody got a flashlight? Are you serious? I almost just pushed him out of the street. and said, good luck. Tell Pastor Pam you did something fantastic. But see, you have to be the one that does this. You've got to be the one that turns on your light. You have to bring your flashlight. You got to. Otherwise, it just sits there and it's no good. I not only had flashlights, I had three flashlights and I had two sets of batteries. I was not going to die in the Sudan. at the very least, I was going to see what was going to eat me. So I knew what I was standing against. (laughs) I was ready. But see, it says in Proverbs 23, 7, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what do you think? You would not be able to tell really truly that these people have nothing. You would not be able to tell that they don't, I mean, they, they, they believe that they have everything that they have need of. They believe that their life is fantastic. Why? Because someone has come and shined the light and said, do you know what? Your life is fantastic. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That you could be anything that he called you to be, that you can change your world, your family, your, you can change everything because God has called you to something that's bigger than who you are. And somebody then is on a daily basis pumping in the light and the love and the word of God. Into the, so now that's what they believe. I mean, you look around, you don't see that with your natural You want to talk about not being able to see it. We say that sometimes, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, don't go by what you see with your natural eyes. Don't go by what you see with your natural eyes in the Sudan. Because it, 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 nothing lines up. Nothing lines up. The things that Stanley has done are by the Spirit and by faith. They are absolutely, bar none, one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen just shows that if one man will say, okay, God, if one man will pay the price in his life, then he'll see God be faithful beyond anything. And God continues to pour it out there in that place. But you have to be the one who stops thinking that you can't. And it's not this idea. And sometimes when people come back on missions, they say, you know, it's really bad there and we got it so good here and all that. I, I, I just went there and said, okay, God, show me what you want to show me. Teach me what you want to teach me. i'm not concerned about they don't have anything and we have a bunch of stuff i mean i've been to a lot enough countries i've seen that uh, for a long time i want to see what what is it here what is it in this place what is making the difference here because this is an oasis in a desert and it's because somebody said okay i'll turn on my light regardless of what that draws i mean i'm thinking if i turn on my light man what's going to (laughs) be i'm thinking bats You know, I'm thinking I'm trying to, (laughs) you know, but it's none of that. It's I'm just going to turn on my light. It's going to be a big bright light. I'm going to take it wherever I go. And whatever God says to do, I'm going to do. Because it is, I mean, it is life and death. But you have to bring every thought captive because there are are thoughts that are against the things that you see. And I'm sure there are thoughts there. And as I taught and as I did some things in the leadership conference, it was the only thing really that I saw them like light up as I was sharing and as I was teaching but it was this idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that says you're supposed to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I was sharing with them as leaders, you, ha- you have to make sure that you're thinking the right way. And if you don't think the right way, then, then you're doing everything else in vain because you're, you, you become what you think. Proverbs 23, 7, like we just said. And so I took these cards and I said, you know, if you have failure and all these things, and I began to put these cards up to my head like they were just Thoughts. You know, now these are people who many of them can't read or write. Many of them are just listening and learning, they've, and they've, they're smart folks. But, I mean, they just, you know, they don't have those things. They've, they've spent a whole generation trying to survive. So you talk about that, and then you talk about the idea that the enemy is going to, I mean, he's going to be speaking these things and telling you these things all of your life. And then as these thoughts begin to come, you have to cast, it says take every thought o- in, into obedience. You have to cast this thought down. So you have to take that thing, and you have to crumble it up, and then you have to drop it on the ground. And then I began to stomp on, the, on that piece of paper and began to speak the word and speak the right scripture and man every one of them perked up like something had just filled the room see the truth of the word of god if you'll shine your light and speak the truth of the word of god it's not something that you made up it's not something that you came up with it's the truth of the word of god will come alive in someone's heart they may never ever remember who i am although there are not too many people there like me (laughs) so (laughs) they might Plus, these two look exactly alike. So I'm just like the one that's, you know, I'm like the one who stood out in the crowd. You're either you're either an African or you're bald and look like these two or you're me. And so, I, you know, they probably might remember. But, you know, when I began to talk about hope and I talked about how important it was, you know, this thought now comes and see, this thought is one that I'm supposed to keep. And this is one that I'm supposed to take and I can fold it up and then I can take this thought see, and I can keep it in my pocket and I put it up right here. And I have the good thoughts here that I'm keeping. I'm taking it into captivity. If it's a good thought, I'm keeping it. If it's a bad thought, I'm casting it down. Well, that that was life to them. It's the same word for us today here. Don't think we're so advanced that we can't take the simplicities of the word of God and apply them in our life and make a difference. I mean, that's the truth. That's the word of God. But you have to be the one that does that. You'll face storms and you'll face tribulation and you'll face stuff. There are things out there. But Jesus said, go to the other side. John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life. So realize and understand that in this same world that's growing dark, in this same world where the enemy is running all over the place, left and right, creating havoc and destroying and killing and doing all those things, there's life there too. Don't be so focused on all the death and destruction and all those things. Think about like what Pastor Pam said. Enforce the victory in your life. Don't worry about all the defeat that's going on out there. You enforce the victory in your life and then take that victory into the world. Because it's dangerous. Every, but it's dangerous in the Sudan. I, I told other people, I mean, it, it is probably the most dangerous place that I have ever been in my life. I, bar, bar none. I've been to a lot of places with a lot of people carrying machine guns and doing those kind of things. But I ain't never been to a place like this where you could die instantly all the time. That's kind of the way that, I mean, I looked around and I realized. And I believe that God prepared my heart for the things that I was going through. And a lot of the stuff that, I, that God spoke to me and showed me had, had portrayed, portrayed, pertained to this, this idea and this thought that if you're, if you're not doing what God asked you to do, if you're not living and being exactly in the right place and speaking the word and not meditating the word and not living what God said and being in the center of his will, you are a prime enemy for the, de- for the devil. He will come after you and he will steal and he will kill and he will destroy. But it says that Jesus has come that he might give us life. Well, how do you do that? Well, you meditate the Word of God. So you be led by the Spirit of God. You don't go there is what you don't do. You don't go. Well, I shouldn't go there, but. No, just don't go there. Right. And what God began to show me, and where be, you know, I mean, it's every time, man. It's a new thing and a new stuff. I mean, it was, it was that you, I, I couldn't go there. Somebody asked me earlier about snakes, and I said, I never went there. Were there snakes? I'm sure, but I never went there. Why? Because the cobras were the biggest fear that I probably could have had when I went to that place. Because I can deal with a lot of stuff, and I can take a lot of stuff. But that was the one thing that that Pastor Bill had come back and talked about that I thought, that's my out. (laughs) I do snakes. Snakes don't bother me. Cobras. I watched uh, Rescue 51, I remember. You remember that show was on when you were little kids? There was a cobra in that one, and I've never forgotten that one. (laughs) 1970, Johnny's standing there with a fire extinguisher and a glass thing on his face. You remember that one, right? And the cobra spit on it. Yep, and he's trying to kill the cobra with his fire extinguisher. I didn't have a fire extinguisher. I had a light. (laughs) I had the thing that made me a target. But see when you're in those play everything I did not like irritates me bothers me makes me want to get sick makes me not enjoy life everything that is against what I think I am and who I am was there <laughs> 24 hours a day 7 days a week everything I hate crickets I will stay up at night, and I will take the refrigerator out. I will remove the dishwasher, and I will find the cricket. If it's 3 o'clock in the morning, I don't care. That cricket is going to die. <laughs> I've been outside banging on the brick outside of our house, making the cricket shut up. I mean, it just that drives me nuts. They have special crickets in the Sudan. <laughs> special ones. They make really neat noises, and they're really loud when I can't sleep, when the food's funky, when things aren't right, when there's dirt everywhere. At the the last day I was done, I was ready to go home. Brad and I walked back from just like 200 yards to get a a lukewarm pop. And I, I had so much dirt on me, I almost just laid down in the gutter and just, let them burn me here, I'm done. It's in my mouth. It's in my nose. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do anything. It was in my eyes. It was all over me. Gritty in your teeth. (laughs) But, see, through all of this, you couldn't go there. I couldn't go there. I couldn't go there. I couldn't think that thought. I had to cast it down. I couldn't say that thing. I had to get rid of it. I couldn't do that. I I had to stay on target. I had to listen to what God was saying because I knew by looking around, I could die here. For real, for real in a lot of ways. But I could also see the greatest victory in my life that I ever saw too. See, where the steal, kill, and destroy is in John 10.10, 10, it says that there's life and life more abundantly. But you have to stay focused. You have to, you have to stay focused. And not just in the South Sudan. You need to stay focused in Lafayette, Indiana, if that's where you live. You don't have a chance not to. You know, Peter, was he jumped out of the boat. Man, you get out of the boat, you better be focused on Jesus. Jesus was right there, and when he wasn't focused, he pulled him right back up. And I believe that he'll take care of you, and he'll watch over you, and he's going to pull you back up. But you take your eyes off Jesus, you might not have an opportunity. See, the devil's what? Steal, kill, and destroy, and I'm not here to bring fear into your life. That's not the truth at all. The truth is that there is life, and life more abundantly if you follow after him. Put your light on. Get out there and shine your light and do what he asks you to do, wherever it is, whenever it is, regardless of the, the cost. But you have to stay focused on what he's saying. I, I, I didn't have a chance. One moment, and my only really concern was for Pastor Bill, but I turned to him and asked him, is this seriously worth it on our 47-hour trip to Juba? <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that literally, that's, that's the trip to Juba. And we are jammed in the back of a pickup truck, the three of us sitting there. And he's my dad, but come on, I had never been this close. And I mean, we are like, <laughs> right, we are all three engaged in a lot of countries after that trip to there and back. So we're like, we're banging around like this. And he's, he's in the middle, just this, you know. And Brad and I are constantly changing hands trying to, you know, like we got a dance going on. And we were about an hour into that gig, and it's about 120 degrees. It just kept getting hotter the farther north you went. I don't know what the deal is with that. Here you go north, it gets colder. There you go north, it gets hotter. (laughs) And uh, I did turn to him at that point, but he he said, yes, all right, it's worth it. So off we went. You know, God is doing great things, and it it was about seeing the things that Stanley had and seeing the things that, that God has done but really it was about learning and growing and understanding that the truth of the Word of God is the thing that's going to keep you as God leads you. You don't make it on your own. You don't survive on your own. And I had to purpose. I seriously, truly, when I got on that plane, you know, in, in Detroit, I had to seriously purpose in my heart, that's it, man. I, I am not going to let me stand in the way. And if you know me, I'm, I love me. <laughs> I like what I, come on, that's right, amen, come on, I likes what I like, <laughs> and I know what I don't like, and I haven't had to eat stuff I don't like my whole life, you know, my mom took care of that for me. She let me eat whatever I liked. I have to eat nothing else the rest of my life, and I was going someplace where I could tell right away I was not going to like it. I mean, if I get a stale ho-ho, I get, I get a little, you know, I mean, I, I get a little gag, you know, I, I can't even go there. It's got to be a fresh ho-ho. You know what I mean? It's got to be a fresh little Debbie cake. I can't, I, you know, I don't even do stale Debbie cakes. You know I mean? It's got to be the real stuff. And, and I knew I knew going into it, see, and you, you, may, you may be here and there, there's a lot of you left and you, you got to get rid of you. And uh, I mean, I, I just, I had the purpose in my heart to get rid of me and, and to just say, okay, you know, and I and I and I can't say that I saw all the things in Africa that, I, that God had showed me all those years ago and all that stuff. I don't think this was the time, and I'm not real sure this was the opportunity. But what I did find out was that it's it's, it's not about me. I move past me. I had the purpose in my heart that you know what, I'll eat it. I don't care. Ain't gonna kill me. You pray really hard over your food too. I noticed. <laughs> The first day, you know, you know, I've been with Bill many times, and he's prayed over the food, and it's, you know, it's like, you know, whatever, and then he just says, like, this was like intercession, so I was like, oh, okay, man, I, I got you, I'm with you. <laughs> I did get to eat the one little bird thing that was screaming at me the whole time, though, and I only ate it because it screamed at me. It wasn't good, but everywhere I turned around, this stupid bird just went, and then I asked Brad one day, what am I eating? He said, that bird, and I said, Awesome. good it deserved to die (laughs) the guinea hens man they have like a thousand bones in their body some of them look like tomahawks i mean it was like all kinds of things he's trying to take me out on the way out but i now really truly (laughs) uh, you have to be focused on what god's doing you and you have to plant your life as a seed and, you know, I, I purposed in my heart that I wasn't going to let all this stuff affect me and bother me, and that didn't make it go away. You know, because I said when I got on the plane in Detroit and all the way, you know, as we got to Amsterdam and on the way into Entebbe and all those places, I mean, just because I said on the way in there, you know what, I, I am not going to let these things bother me and I'm going to get past who I am. I'm going to get past what I like. I'm going to get past what I can deal with and I'm going to let God be God in my life and that's just period it. That didn't mean they all went away. I woke up the very first moment. I've only been in Africa for six hours and I had the million ants in my bag <laughs> and we hadn't even got to Sudan yet. That was still in Uganda. I would have thrown it all in the trash and got back on the next plane to Amsterdam and just went on my way. But I cleaned out my bag and I just said, you can't
1: stop me
0: from doing. See, you can't stop what God wants to do. Answer, no, what? Yeah, I did, yeah no, that was Juba. Yeah, I got electrocuted. That was the worst day of my life. I'm telling you, man, every, every moment of every day was an opportunity to die. I stood in a shower. Now, this was, the, this was the nice place. This was right after I sent you this lovely video of us standing by the Nile and doing all that stuff. That morning, I almost died in a wet shower that was hooked up to 240. You would have loved it, Andy. I pulled the nozzle, man, and that lit me straight up in the shower I'm just thinking I just want to not have to sh- take a bath in a bucket and it literally man like it was just and I finally let go and I thought gosh I'm lucky to be alive so what did I do I went back in for more I thought Well, I gotta maybe it won't happen this time no and then the handle oh my gosh so I finally shut it all off man and Stanley had told me the night before, yeah, there's no mosquito nets because there's no mosquitoes here. There were three skeeters in my room, and I'm chasing them around all night. Bzz, bzz. So I mean I, I just pounded down the hall, man, banged on Brad's door, and he's like, What's the matter? I'm taking a shower. Good. Off oh, I went. That was just the beginning of that day. We don't have time for that. Everywhere, you have to get past who you are. Stanley has planted his life as a seed. And he has gotten past him. And through this whole adventure, I really, really, truly just had to lay my side and say, okay, man, i get past me. I'm going to get past me. Whether it's a flat, that was the day we had the flat tire on the road. Finally, after the 17-hour church service that day, I just changed my clothes in the parking lot. I didn't even care what people thought at that point, man. I'd stripped off my pants, put on my shorts and some flip-flops and a really nice dress shirt and said, this is the way I am, this is who I am. If Africa can't deal with this, then that's (laughs) that's just tough. We got back in that truck and just took off for our 19-hour trip home to Yay, only to be almost wiped out by three Africans on a motorcycle that exploded right next to us after we had our tire. Everywhere. Everywhere. The sun's going down. You don't go outside at dark. You don't get stuck on the road. We already got a flat tire. We don't have any spares. This thing goes down, man. You, you have to know that it's not you, that it's gone. Cars rolled over in the ditch, people being drugged. That car had only been done 10 minutes. I mean, it was trashed, and they're already wheeling off this parts. And they're taking the tires and everything else. Black cat went across our thing. That was it, man. Black cat, last straw. (laughs) I thought, is that all you got is a black cat? Come on, I'm more than that now. But let me tell you, this guy is amazing. As we end. (laughs) Um, I probably met one of the most amazing men that I've ever met in my life. but he's just like you and he's just like me. He's no different. Now, he lives in Sudan, but he's no different. God called him to do something that was beyond him. God's calling you to do something that's beyond you. You may be doing something that's beyond you. But when God said, go to Egypt, he went to Egypt. When God said, come home, he came home. When God said, go back to your people and I want you to stay there. And I want you to change your country and change your nation. He did. He got thrown in prison twice. They took his money. His wife is in prison with him. I mean, it wasn't just him. I mean, this this was persecution. He went 10 years without anything, no food. I mean, there were times where he was starving. He said God burned every bridge. He couldn't go back to Egypt. (laughs) You don't usually hear people say they were really truly going back to Egypt. You know, I mean, we say that all the time. (laughs) But he was really wanting to go back to Egypt, (laughs) but he couldn't. He had to trust God. He has a school of 900 kids. He has a thriving church, a new land. He's got an orphanage of 102 children, two of which need to be sponsored, by the way. If you know somebody that wants to sponsor a young person, we've got two that need sponsors. He has two new dorms that are able to fit 250 new kids. He's Building a second classroom or a third classroom, really on that land. The villagers all send their kids to that school too. He's got a well there that's sustaining the orphanage but also sustaining the village. He's got a truck. He's got a farm, 180-some square miles of farmland. And I am telling you there's not one viable thing in the natural in that area. He is living in God's favor and he's living in God's abundance because he said, okay, it took me about a week to stop saying, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, I kept saying, this, this is like the 1700s in America. And this guy is living like, to, I mean, he's living like today. He, he, is a, he is a founding father of his country. I truly believe that, not just spiritually. He is raising up a, a generation. But he was willing to lay down his life, Matthew chapter 16. You're going to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and you're going to follow me. He counted the cost, Luke, right? In chapter 14 it says, how many of you would begin to build and then you wouldn't dare count the cost only to get halfway through it and quit? Maybe you're here today and you say, yeah, yeah, I counted the cost. I got about halfway through and said I can't can't afford the rest. Why? Because the rest of it's me. Well, yeah, you can. You just got to get past you. I don't want to give this part up, I don't want to give this thing up, then you'll never see what God wants you to see. This guy's humble, got a great sense of humor, loves those children. Every now and then Pastor Bill would say, Stanley do you know what I need? And he said, whatever you need, Jesus is the answer. (laughs) And he smiles this sly little smile and he looks at me and gives me a little wink, I was like, I like you. He did it about three or four times. I thought Brad and I were going to fall over. But, you know, the rich young euler came on the side of the road, and he asked Jesus, what do I have to do? And Jesus said, you've got to give it all up for me. And, you know, I'm no different than you. I thought I've given it up enough. You know, I thought I gave it all up. I thought I gave this. I thought I gave this part up. But, you know, I, I got to learn that there was a little more know, in, of me, but I had to give it up, I had to give it up, I'm not, I'm not scared, I'm not scared, I'm not worried, I'm not upset, I'm not, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing can bother me if I'm in his will and if I'm following after him, nothing can bother you if you get rid of you, so the rich young ruler walked away sorrowful because he had a lot of stuff, he had a lot of things. And he didn't want to go there. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let it all go. See what God will do in your life. Don't take a thought for who you are. In Luke, in in chapter 18, it says really truly that as you give your life, Jesus said, you know, nobody has given their life, given their all, and given everything that they have that hasn't been repaid, not just in heaven, but in this life in which we live right now in this place in which we live right here there, the, the, the greatest abundance that you can ever imagine is found in losing yourself and finding him and it says in John chapter 12 and it was Jesus and he said unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies there can't be a harvest in your life there will be a harvest but you gotta die and you gotta let him live Stanley really truly has paid the price and he continues to pay the price every day what is happening there is nation building I mean we can say this and we can say that and we can kind of put a spin on it here put a spin on it there but I am telling you what in 10 years that man will have the ear of his country I believe it and he's put us together with him for a reason for a reason that it's the gateway to everything god has in that place and each and every one of you are a part of that you're a part of that you may not have got to touch him you may not have got to meet him face to face but through your prayers through your giving through your standing in faith you're a part of that and that and that i believe not just that that little city will never be I, i believe that because of the things that god has called us to do the vision that he gave pastor bill and now bestowed on me and brad and others As we go, I I believe that that country will be a godly country. And I believe that we're a part of the seed that's been planted. And we will reap a harvest on all that we've done. We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org. Or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you've drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today.